if you have your Bibles today, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we'll begin reading at verse 5 through verse 9. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 5. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as a people pleaser, but as a servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, verse 8, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing he is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Well, not a real good politically uh, correct message here today dealing with slaves and masters. And uh, honestly, I had to pray much over this passage and even... Uh, considered a little bit uh, about skipping it and going right on to verse 10. Wasn't sure what was here for us. Um, but if you believe, as I do, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it does have something for us, so I knocked on the door. I said, Lord, what is the bread here? What's the nourishment that you would give? And let's just begin by pointing out that it is talking about slaves. Um, in the first century, the Apostle Paul would be ad addressing uh, people here who they had become Christians uh, when they were slaves. And some of them were masters, of owners of those slaves, and they had become Christians. So what do you do here? And uh, this would not be unusual because in the first century, half the Roman Empire was slaves. Uh, Rome expanded its borders by conquering other kingdoms. And they would go into a city and demolish it, burn it to the ground, and they didn't build it back up. They demolished it and took the people uh, as slaves back to Rome. And some of the statesmen uh, divided their tools into two groups, that which could talk, such as the people, the slaves, and that which could not talk, such as donkeys and mules and shovels and such. But they were all tools for the Romans. So they were viewed as objects. They were viewed as property. And, and uh, the first century world was full of them, so it would not be surprising for these people to become Christians as Christianity spread over the world in this first century. But I, I did want to make this one distinction, that the Bible does not 
come in, especially in the Old Testament, people use the Old Testament to talk about how the, it approves of slavery. The slavery of the Old Covenant period comes into Israel as a remedy against the slavery of other nations. It is true in what I would call the slavery that was within the Old Covenant is what I would call an indentured servitude where they would take somebody who had been irresponsible or he had uh, stolen something and he had been captured and brought and instead of putting him in jail, Israel did not have jails. They had indentureships. And the person that you stole from or owed money to, they would make you work for them. And you had to work until you paid the debt or up until six years. After six years, everybody went free at six years. Nobody stayed an indentured servant up more than six years. But what the idea was that you take somebody who's irresponsible and a loser, you put him with somebody who is a worshiper. And, you, and this person had to go to church to worship with this master that he had owes money to. He has to live with him, watch him, observe him, and, and he's to follow the role model that he has stolen from. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, 11. Go to the place your Lord your God will choose where his name dwells, and there you bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices and your tithes, your finest vow offerings, and he says, Deuteronomy 12, verse 12, And rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, and your male servants and female servants. In other words, you take these servants, these, uh, he's not talking about someone that, you, that you're paying, he's someone that owes you, and they are indentured to you. They are to accompany you to worship, they are to see you worship and give your tithe, they are to understand why you are blessed and they are not. That's the idea here. And so these, these indentured servants would find out why their irresponsible living, what is at the core of all of my problems? It's that I don't know God. In fact, these masters were so benevolent, so kind, so godly, that on occasion, this is in Exodus 21, 1 through 6, that the indentured servant would say, look, my six years is up and by law I can leave, but you know what? You are so good to me, I love my master. Exodus 21, 6. So I'm just going to stay with you forever. That, that's what they would do. Now, that that is the kind of slavery that you have in the Old Testament. It is, in other words, it is redemptive. It's not vindictive or cruel and brutal. It was to help people up and give them an example to follow. And that's what you have uh, in Old Testament, what we would call slavery, but really was what I'm calling an indentureship. Now, Paul is not talking about Old Covenant indentureship here. He's talking about actually somebody who either through Roman armies conquering a territory or maybe they were born that way, they were born as slaves, they, are, they have been owned and they are now are purchased by this master and now they have become Christians. So what do you do? And this is the issue that is facing them and basically the Apostle Paul 
tells the slave to please God. He tells the master and reminds him, you have a master in heaven. Don't forget. Don't be mean. In other words, don't focus on the externals, but focus on the Lord in heaven. Now, it's an interesting way to approach life because we all become Christians in various circumstances of life. We, we, we come to Christ in different situations and limitations. And a lot of times those limitations are why we came to Christ to begin with. There's a similar section of Scripture, and I want to show this to you, over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Keep your finger on Ephesians 6. We'll come back to it. But let me show you this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, and the Apostle Paul is talking, uh, answering the questions of the Corinthians about several circumstances in which people have become Christians. And they find themselves in these situations. And there's three of them that he lays out here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 to 24. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12 to 24. He uses three illustrations here. He says, now to the rest, I say, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, I say, not the Lord. And by the way, what does that mean? I say, not the Lord. He's been quoting... Jesus from the Gospels in previous verses. So when he says, I say, not the Lord, he means I don't have a quote out of the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus said. He doesn't mean I'm not giving you God's Word. He means I'm not giving you a direct quote from the Lord Jesus. But at the end, he'll say, uh, but I do think I have the Spirit of God. That's verse. Corinthians 7, 40. I have the Spirit of God. So he's so that's what he means there, so let's not get uh, too focused on that. But verse 12, To the rest I say, not a direct quote from the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So here is one situation. It's, that is marriage. What if you become a Christian when you all got married, neither one of you were Christians? You went several years, neither one of you went to church. But then one, one day you started feeling, the husband started feeling like he needs, to, he needs God in his life, he needs forgiveness of sins, he's afraid to die, he's got nightmares at night. And so he goes to church and finds the living Christ as Savior. And he goes home, he's all excited and tells his wife. And she's not that excited. Well, what does he do? Does he divorce her? I want to marry a Christian. Here's what Paul says, verse 12. To the rest I say, not a quote from the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Now, in the same way, verse 13, if a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So the idea here is, Look, this is not an ideal circumstance. But what do you do? 
he, he goes on and he says, uh, verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified or made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of the husband. Even the children are affected. There is a certain influence that she brings and a protection that she brings because she's a child of God or he's a child of God and the other one is not, but there will be a protection on them and the children. For example, God watches over you when you're driving. But you're riding with an unbelieving husband. And so he causes you to be just a little bit late because there's a car speeding through and runs a red light, and if you'd been on time, why, he would have side-whacked you there. So he's protecting you, but in so protecting you, he protected the unbelieving husband. Now, the unbelieving husband doesn't know it. He, he doesn't care about God. But this is what, he, what Paul means here. The, the Verse 14, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, who's a believing wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of the husband. Otherwise, the children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy too. The children are also protected. They may not be Christians. But if there's one Christian in the whole family, there's a certain influence and protection that can come on that one person. You see this in the book of Acts when Paul is on a ship with 270 sailors and the ship hits a storm and an angel of God comes to Paul and says, I'm going to save you and everybody else on the ship. (laughs) Because they were on the ship with one apostle, the whole sailing group was rescued. I mean, it's it's amazing. How do you think we get saved? Because God saved Jesus, and we're His body. We're one with Him. We're all caught up together with Him. So solidarity does influence and rescue people. So when you become a Christian, if your unbelieving husband is not a Christian, you are a blessing to him and a protection and an influence to him or to her, even though they don't know or care. But maybe one day they will. So Paul gives an example of marriage here. Now look at verse 16 or verse 15. Now if the unbeliever's partner separates, let it be so. If they leave you, he says, in such cases, the brother or sister is not in bondage, for God has called you to peace. Now, most people take that as you're not in bonds, in the marital marital bonds any longer if they leave you and abandon and desert that covenant. In verse 16, he says, For how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? In other words, you may not be able to change it. That circumstance in which you became a Christian may never change. And if they happen to, if they just are tired of you being such a fanatic, a lot of times they interpret you going to church every Sunday as being a fanatic. And they're sick of you being a, a Jesus freak. Okay, then I'm out of here. Let them go, is the words of the apostle. He wants us to live in peace. But if they decide to live with you and they don't mind living with you, they kind of like you being a Christian, 
Maybe a wife likes that her husband doesn't get drunk every weekend and spend all the money gambling it away. I don't know. Maybe she likes that. I like you being a Christian. I like being married to a Christian. I'm not going to be one, but I like you being one. So the apostle uses that as uh, an illustration of circumstances that you come into when you're a Christian. And look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned them and to which God has called them. There's a certain providence and arrangement of things that we didn't ask for. This, we just find ourselves in it. So lead the life that is uniquely designed regarding your particular calling. He uses another illustration. It's the illustration of circumcision. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? When you became a Christian, were you circumcised? Talking to Jewish people. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Huh. Uh, the reason Jewish young men would try to remove the evidence of circumcision is because they would often compete in the Olympic Games naked. Uh, did y'all hear that? Yeah, I said naked. Uh, which would be an interesting athletic contest. But how in the world would you remove the marks of circumcision? I did not pursue it. <laughs> I don't know, don't want to know. He says, stop trying to do that. Don't, you became a Christian, you were circumcised, don't try to be uncircumcised. If you are uncircumcised, don't try to remove the marks of uncircumcision. He says, uh, verse 20, each one remain in the condition in which he is called. Now, do you see? There it is again. In marriage, just serve God in the circumstance in which you find yourself. In, cir in circumcision, just serve God in the circumstance in which you find yourself. Then he gives a third one, and this is the one that's connected to Ephesians 6. Verse 21. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom... Avail yourself of the opportunity. <laughs> I think Paul is saying, look, if your master comes to you and says, I'm going to free you, well, don't be stupid. <laughs> Take your freedom. But don't be overly anxious about it. Paul is trying to get status in its place. Okay, you're a slave. Your life is, has certain limitations. Don't you know everybody's got limitations? The main thing in life is to please God. The main thing in life is to live with God. Look at how he puts it here. Verse 22, For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a free man of the Lord. You're the Lord's free man. You're free unto God. Likewise, he was free when he called us a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Don't become the slaves of men. Verse 23, to make a big deal out of your slavery, to think that your status as a slave, when people look at you as inferior to them, and you adopt that mentality, and all you want is to be like everybody else, he says, that's a slave's mentality itself. 
You're becoming slaves of men by trying to be like all the free people. And Jesus bought you and made you his free man. You are free from what people think about you. That's the freedom you want. Those people you aspire to be like are in bondage to sin. That's not the freedom you want. You're free from sin. You're free from condemnation. You're free from the fear of death. You're free from the worldly status symbols. Don't go back into bondage. What an amazing thing here. This slave, we call them slaves, Paul says you're, you need to see that you're free in Christ. And if you try to, if you're coveting after all this status symbol of the free people, you need to know that that's slavery. What an incredible revelation for us today. And how much bondage is out there. We see so much, if you just reverse everything you think. For example, all the wealth, if I could just hit the lottery, how poor that would make you. You say, okay, I can be poor then. (laughs) Just make me poor for a while. But there's a poverty that is permanent and eternal. That's what Paul is saying. And then that last verse in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 24 of that section, he says, So brothers, in whatever condition you are called, just abide with God. It means literally to remain with God. Stay in His presence. The presence and favor of God. That is what you want, not a change in circumstance. God will change your circumstances and He can do it like that. What you want to make sure that above all things is you please God and stay in His presence with His blessing. That's what Paul says. No matter whether what your marital status. You say, I can't be happy the way I'm married. Get your happiness from the risen Lord. It's amazing how the power and presence of the Holy Spirit can put joy in you. Even when you're married, maybe you're married to somebody that you've never been happy with, then be happy in Jesus. Because how do you know, oh friend, that you will get divorced from them and marry somebody else and that they will make you happy? I doubt it. Because you, in your unfaithfulness and covenant breaking, will be so miserable that you will make this happy person miserable who in turn will reflect that misery back on you and you'll both be miserable. Read that straight out of point number three right there. All right, let's go back to Ephesians 6. And here's what, as I was just saying, Lord, what is the bread that I can give to people this morning out of this passage, difficult passage? Then it's this. If you're a Christian and your circumstances did not change. I want you to remember these three things. Number one, remember the most important thing is to please Him. That's verse 5 through 7. Slaves, obey earthly masters with fear and trembling and a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not watching, not eye service as people pleasers, but servants of Christ. 
That's the main thing in whatever circumstance. Not to change the circumstance, but just please Him and stay in His presence. Secondly, remember that He, the Lord, who sees all things, is a rewarder. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Whatever good, when you operate under the smile of God, you need to know that when that's your, there's nothing wrong with recognizing he will reward you. He keeps a record of everything that you do that is unto him. He will reward you from the moment you stay in the nursery and change one diaper, two diapers, three diapers. Those of you who are working at the sound system back there, those of you, those mothers who do things, but you're doing it to please Christ. You would not do it to please yourself. You wouldn't even do it to please others, but you're doing it to please Christ. Every dollar you put in the plate, when it's unto the Lord, He will reward you. Remember the, the old covenant slave? They go to church. They want to know what's the secret here. They are in the presence of God. They're worshiping. They're serving. They're faithful. I not only want to be like Him, I want to be with Him. That was the indentureship. That the Lord is a rewarder. Listen at this, Matthew 10, 42. If you give to drink a cup, just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, Jesus said, Matthew 10, 42, you will in no wise lose your reward. Pursue rewards. There's nothing wrong with it. Hebrews 11, speaking of Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty six, esteeming the reproach that he took greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. He's talking about Moses. That he had respect and value on the reward that he'd get. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the king. He looked for a reward. Moses went and got the people, and God used him to deliver them, and there was a reward for that effort that he went through with the people of Israel. Proverbs eleven eighteen: To him that sows righteousness is a sure reward. Psalm nineteen eleven. If you keep the scriptures, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there's a great reward. Look to the reward. Here, verse 8, he says in Ephesians 6, 8, Knowing whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. So the first thing was, remember to please him. The second thing is, remember he gives a reward. Third, when the circumstances don't change, remember that God is not partial. This, this promise and these blessings are for everyone because he says in verse 8, you'll receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. It doesn't matter who you are. And in verse 9, masters, do the same thing to them. Stop your threatening knowing that their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. He, if, if somebody seeks him, it doesn't matter if you're slave or free, master or slave, it doesn't matter. He, there's no partiality. He will bless, he will reward, 
He can see things. He records things. He knows all things. Every master of you has a master in heaven who controls. The illustration that I would use comes from the Old Testament story of Joseph. And Joseph, those of you who've read this story in Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50, you know that Joseph was probably a teenager, the youngest of all his 11 other brothers, and they were jealous of him. He had this many-colored coat, and they hated him, and they took him and threw him in a pit and and uh, going to kill him, but some slave traders came along and they sold him to the Midianites. So here, here's teenager, now a slave. And they take him down into Egypt and sell him to the Egyptians. So now he's an immigrant, an exile, a teenager, and a slave. But here's what it says in Genesis 39, 2 and 3. The Lord was with him. Oh, what a difference that makes. Can you imagine anybody having less influence and less power, less resources than a teenager in a foreign land as a slave? I mean, what has he got going for him? Nothing. But the Lord was with him. And it says... Genesis 39, 2 and 3, that as he was a slave to Potiphar's household, God caused him to prosper in everything, and Potiphar set him over his whole household. God rewarded him. God blessed him. See, it's not status. It's not circumstance. It's the presence of God with you. And... In come Potiphar's wife one day and saw the blessing of God on him and said, you know, I, I, I think he's kind of hot. She wanted to sleep with him and he refused to do it. She grabbed him and he ran away and she held on to his robe and he left the robe in the room with her. And Potiphar came in and said, this is an outrage and he put him in prison. Now he's a teenager in as a slave, in a foreign land, in prison. Oh, now he's done it. What's God going to do now? But Genesis 40, 21, and in prison, it says they put him in charge of the prison because the Lord was with him. The Lord is with him. See, offend the world, but don't offend the Lord. And it wasn't long until through his interpretation of dreams that he was actually elevated to be the prince of Egypt. Right next to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, you're so smart, you're so wise, There's, who can find such an excellent spirit in anybody? I'm just going to put you in charge of all the money and all the resources of the largest nation on earth. Now that is because the Lord is with you. So Paul tells these slaves, okay, you got a bum deal in life. You need to know you are not limited by these circumstances. 
Remember to please Him. Remember He's the rewarder. Look to Him for that. And remember that He does not, He's not partial. He's, it's for everyone. Make sure the Lord is with you. That's the solution you're really looking for today. Let's pray together as the band comes. We'll sing one more song. Father, we thank you today for the possibilities that still exist in our lives when the Lord is with us. I thank you, Heavenly Father, and I pray this morning that none of us would leave without saying, Oh, God, please be with me through Jesus Christ. Forgive my sins. Cleanse my heart. Help me from this day, Memorial Day weekend, to be the day that I said to you, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me and be with me forever. Amen.